And so this week we're going to jump back into the book of Hebrews. So I invite you to grab your Bibles. <clears throat> Hebrews is at the back of your Bible. It's kind of one of the last big books, about eight books before the end, although most of those are pretty short. Some of them are even one page there. And we're going to talk about Jesus again. Again, it tells us that Jesus is greater than all things, right? This is what Hebrews wants to tell us, that it's written so that believers, when they're getting discouraged about the world and the things that are going on, we know the audience was believers in Rome, they were discouraged by their persecution, and the writer saying, don't forget how great Jesus is and what he's done, right? God has done a great thing, and this is going really good places, but you got to hang on, right? And so he begins by reminding us all of who Jesus is. So chapter 1, he opens by telling us that Jesus is God's greater word, right? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 said God spoke through the prophets, through the Old Testament, and yet now he has spoken by his Son. He is the greater word. He is the final word that God has given to us. Furthermore, he tells us in Verses 2 and 3, Jesus created the world. He upholds it by His Word. So he's, he's holding up our world, including our very lives. And in verse 3, He tells us that Jesus is the very picture and image of the glory of God. So what does that mean? If you want to know who God is, you're seeking for who God is, it means look at Jesus. He's the exact imprint of the Father. He teaches us everything about who God is, and that Jesus made purification for our sins. He, he wiped away the sin debt that we had before God, and now he sits at the very right hand of God praying for you. This is what chapter 1 tells us about Jesus. This is our Jesus, and that he's currently, Hebrews 1.8, ruling forever over all things. And he gives Jesus some great titles there in chapter 1, if you remember. What does he call Jesus? He calls him God's Son right? Because of his special relationship to the Father, the way he enjoys God's love and the way he understands God's plan. He calls Jesus God, right? That he is co-equal with the Father, fully God. And he calls him uh, Lord. That as we give our lives to him, as he rules over all of the world, and we're going to talk about more of that today in chapter 2, that he wants to be Lord of our lives. Right? That's the question. Are you going to make him Lord of your life? Now, as we get into Hebrews chapter 2, it's going to open up and it's going to urge us to make sure that we give our lives to Jesus. Okay? In fact, it's going to open up with this thing. Uh, it's a warning about neglecting the salvation revealed in Christ here in the first couple verses. In other words, he's going to say, this is who Jesus is. We saw it in chapter 1. And as we look in chapter 2, he says, now don't miss it, right? Don't, don't pass by this salvation. Don't neglect what God has done here. Okay, look at what he says here in verse 1. He says, therefore, meaning everything I just said about Jesus, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard through God's word, right? That's Jesus. Lest we drift away from it. <clears throat> For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
So what's he saying, Christians? Remember, this book is written to Christians. He's saying, don't neglect what God has done and said through Jesus. Because if you do, if you remember the angels, they said great things, and when people disobeyed them, it went really poorly for them. It's going to be even worse if you disobey what Jesus has done and said. Okay? And so these passages are kind of interesting. This is the first one of five passages we'll see in Hebrews. That's what they call a warning passage. And these are the passages in your Bible that can keep you up at night. (laughs) Have you ever sat in bed at night and been thinking about a passage from Hebrews? There's some much sharper ones later that we're going to see. Because it, it warns us of this perceived or even a possibility of falling away from God that could lead to really bad things. Now, as we read these, we've got to keep in mind what the author is doing. Okay, So he's not saying that you can lose your salvation. Sometimes we can go there. He's writing this to believers, and it has a specific function for believers. And the function is that when you hear that warning that it would... Kind of prick your heart, light up your heart, and you want to say, well, I want to keep going. That's the point. And here's the comfort. If you're a believer in Jesus, it will do that. If you're worried about these passages, that's the right place to be. That means God is working in your heart. In fact, we could think about um, the parable of the four soils in Matthew, right? And, and three of one soil, you know, the, God, or the, the sower plants the word of God, and the first one, the the birds, the devil just steal it away, and they never get a chance at hearing God's word. But two of those soils are excited about what God said, but what was the problem? It never went down into their heart. They weren't ever really converted, right? But when we receive God's word, and it goes down in our hearts, and it begins to grow, God says, I will surely complete what I've started in you. That will come to fruition, and when you hear this, you think, man, I got to keep going, right? And so if that's your heart this morning as we hear these things, know that God is working in you. Now, what he tells us here, as we heard, is he's saying, pay attention to what you've heard so you don't drift away, okay? And I like this word, drift, that we might drift from Jesus in the gospel. It reminds us that this process of falling away, even in our Christian life, can kind of be a slow burn, right? Things, be, things kind of come into your life. Maybe it's a new job schedule that keeps you from gathering with community of believers. Maybe it's that Netflix show that you start watching, and you're like, well, this is a little more racy than I should probably watch, but I think I'll keep watching it. Maybe it's new friends that you hang out with, and they, you know, you know you're not making the best decisions, but you're like, I really like these people. And slowly, we start drifting. And in weeks and months and years, we suddenly turn around and go, whoa, I've gotten pretty far from where I used to be. It's imperceptible, right? One time, me and Amy were surfing in Hawaii, and um, we went to the North Shore to surf there, and our friends were good surfers, and we are not. And um, it was like massive waves that day, like 20-foot waves on the North Shore. And they said, oh, well, there's a little part where you can surf, and it's great, even when it's big. And they were right. It's a little beach, and it had nice three or five-foot waves. So we go out there, and we start surfing. But what's out in the water that you got to be careful about? <laughs> it's a little current. 
that will cause you to start drifting towards the big waves and some big rocks. And now I had a little more experience than Amy, so I'm out there and I was kind of keeping track of where I was and staying in the right place. But Amy began to drift to the right, and suddenly she was headed right for the rocks. And there was nothing I could do, right? She began to drift over there, and you know what? We were yelling at her like, Amy, Amy, come back. And she, you know what she had to do? She had to fight for her life. And it was quite a struggle to get back out of that current and into the right place, right? And this is what happens, right? Our life, things come into our life, begin to slowly drift. We don't even where we're going, but man, you're headed right for the rocks. And so he's saying, pay attention, right? Don't lose sight of Jesus. Keep him right in the center so that you don't drift and get shipwrecked on those rocks. And... We have to pay attention, right? The, the, the author of Hebrews also gives us some motivation to hear why we should pay attention. We don't always like these. Because he said, look at it, as I said before, if when the angels came and spoke things, and we kind of go, well, what is he talking about there? Well, a couple passages in our Bible, Acts 7.53, Stephen says this, and Paul in Galatians 3.19, they mention that the Old Testament law was given by angels. So that there was... Not only was the law given by God to Moses, but that angels were somehow involved in that, and that as Israel took in the law and they began to drift from the law, they incurred all the punishment of that law, right? And so if the angels gave this law and they got punished, then how much worse is it going to be for what Jesus has said if we neglect it or ignore it? So it's an argument from lesser to greater that we should listen and in fact, that's the truth of the Bible that we often don't like to talk about. That for those of us that, if any of you don't know Jesus, that there is a day of judgment and reckoning coming where those that have not known him and don't have Christ's covering will be set apart for an eternity in hell apart from God. Right? And that is a great, scary punishment. And he's saying, look at Pay attention to what Jesus has said, and you won't be there. Spend time with him. Get with his people regularly. Then he says this, you know, in 3 and 4, we, we, he, he gives us proof of the message that Jesus has said. So he's saying, look, don't just take my word for it, but look, look what happened that proves the message. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, it says, it was declared at first, so the gospel was declared at first by the Lord Jesus, it was then attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gift of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. So He's saying, you want to know that this is true? Look what happened, right? Jesus said it. We know that happened. Guys then witnessed it and told us about it. You can think about the disciples and many others that around Jesus' ministry. And by the way, that would be enough to stand up in court, right? To have many witnesses about what happened. But then it says, and then God did a special thing. By His Holy Spirit, He did miracles so that you would know this message is true. And here at Risen Life, we believe that the Holy Spirit does, still does miracles, that He is still in the business of doing great things. We believe He can do all the miracles that we see 
in the Bible, and yet we're cautious because even this passage points us to the fact that those miracles had a purpose. They weren't just about the miracles themselves, but they were about validating the message of the gospel. And so when we see things or things that are purported to be miracles today, we should look for what's the purpose? Why would God do that? He wants to do it to prove the gospel. And this still goes on in the world in various times and places as God wills. And so this is uh, how God proves things. All this to say, again, so that we would know Jesus' message is true. This is what God did, he's saying. So that we would see that Jesus is greater He's greater than all created things, the angels, and because God now has put all things under his rule. In fact, let's look at this next section here in Hebrews 2, starting in verse 5 through 9. Here he's going to show us that, again, all things now are subjected to Christ. There's nothing that escapes God's rule in Christ, okay? So look at what it says, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere, and I love that, right? This is a preacher This is a preacher to a preacher. He doesn't remember the reference. In fact, there weren't references back then. But it's, God said it somewhere. It's Psalm 8, by the way. Here's what he said in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels... You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Hallelujah, right? So first thing he tells us is Christ is greater than the angels. Okay, he's been saying this all along. Christ is better than the angels because we can look at angels and God didn't give the kingdom to the angels. He gave it to Jesus. Angels are great. Jesus is greater, right? Gave the kingdom to him. And then he teaches us by quoting Psalm 8, 4 through 6, even though he didn't know where it was. <laughs> And notice what the author does here. He's teaching us how to read our Bibles Christologically. What's Psalm 8 about? Anybody know? Psalm 8 is about David. He's reveling in the fact that God has a heart for man, even though man is very insignificant in God's universal economy. But what does this author do with it? He says, that's talking about Jesus. So he reads the Psalms, as if they're looking forward to Jesus. In fact, a lot of the other New Testament authors do this. They actually take the words of the Psalms and they read them on the mouth, mouth of Jesus. So he's teaching us how to read our Old Testament scriptures. In fact, Jesus told us this, John 5, 39. He said, look, you search the scriptures for salvation, but they're talking about me. <laughs> and so these authors are doing that very thing, saying these are all about Jesus and this is talking about Jesus here, keying off the term son of man. That Adam was given dominion in the garden, but Jesus, being the greater Adam, is given dominion of all things. 
And so he reminds us that the world is in the hands of Jesus. He created it, he sustains it, and God has given him rulership of it. You know what that means to me? I think I want to know that guy, right? Like, I want to know the guy that's in charge. (laughs) And this brings us a lot of comfort when we're in the suffering of our life, knowing that it's not up to me to figure it out. It's not necessarily those forces that are coming against me, but I have a king that's ruling over this world that has brought something into my life for some reason, and I ought to appeal to him to see what I can do about it and what he can do about it. Jesus is in charge, right? He's greater. There's no one better to look to in our time of need. Now, I like this too, because it says, when we look around the world, we go, well, how come it doesn't seem like Jesus is actually ruling? Right? How come I look around and it seems like evil's running rampant? You're telling me that Jesus rules, but how come I don't see it? He said that right there in the test. For Hebrews 1, 8 and 9, at the present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So what's going on there? He says, but we do see that God came in the person of Jesus, validated by God, was crucified and then brought to life from the dead and so again validated by God and now is exalted to the Father. So he says, we do know that that God loves Jesus and approves of what he did. And so what the author is reminding us that in the midst of our world, when it looks like the world is out of control, he says, make sure you look back to the cross and remember that it's not out of control. God is in charge. He's done a great work. Get your focus on Jesus. Don't neglect what God has done in Jesus. Keep Him at the center all the time. In fact, Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says this, speaking of Jesus. He was found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. See, we're living in this moment that's between the beginning of God's kingdom through Christ and the day when it becomes known when Jesus comes back and all the world is subjected to him. And the choice for us is, are you going to join his kingdom now when you get to, or will you do it when you have to, right? And for those with faith, we see what Jesus has done, and we join him and begin to be a part of his kingdom. Hebrews 2.9 also tells us here that Jesus is glorious. He is exalted because of his work of salvation. It says, Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And this verse gets right at the heart of the gospel, okay? That we had rebelled against God as humanity. Our sins led us far from God, and we had incurred the judgment of death. That this is the price we we all have to pay, right? We stand condemned before a holy God because of our sins, rightly judged and rightly condemned to death. And yet God in His mercy and grace and love, He doesn't 
leave us there. In fact, he does what we can't do in the Son. He sends his Son to take our place so that we can be set free. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12 says it this way. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So this is God's good plan to crush Jesus on our behalf. He shall bear their iniquities, therefore I shall divide the spoil with him. He will be glorified because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for them now. By the will and grace of God, Jesus came to die for you so that death would have no more power over your life. This is, this is an amazing thing. Right? This is why in 1 Corinthians, Paul can say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Where's your sting? It's gone. <laughs> and it says, Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus. There's great freedom in this. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2 is going to go on and tell us why Jesus was able to make this sacrifice on our behalf, why he's qualified in the midst of his suffering in temptation and the answer is going to be he can identify with us and do this work guess what because he was one of us that he became just like us in every way and this is really important okay so let's look at Christ's identification with us in verses uh, 10 through 18 here this morning um, here's what he's going to say to us first that God had Jesus accomplished our salvation through his suffering. Okay, look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children that God has given to me. See, it was fitting for God that he had Jesus to suffer, to complete his work, because we likewise are suffering and will suffer as we make him our Lord and he sanctifies us. We've got to get this. And what does it mean that Christ became perfect through suffering? You might, you might ask that question to yourself. This doesn't mean that somehow Jesus was incomplete or imperfect, and so he had to do some things to, to be made right so that he could do this work. No, what it's talking about is that Jesus completed or he perfected the work that God asked him to do, that he perfectly carried out every bit of it so that we could be saved. And he did it by suffering and dying on the cross. And this is why we're called his brothers. Because we share in his suffering as we give our lives to him and are transformed from rebels to sons of God. I want you to think about this. There's a lot of titles given to what happens to us as we become followers of Jesus. We are adopted sons, right? We are from another nation becoming citizens of heaven. We are rebels that become obedient and love sons. Those are not easy transitions. There's a lot of suffering that goes 
through these things. And at times it can be deep suffering to follow Jesus, to die to ourselves, to walk in his ways. In fact, when we celebrate baptism next week, this is what we're picturing, right? When you say, Jesus, you're my Lord, then you go to baptism and you say, I'm dying to myself and the life I once lived. I'm going under the waters as if I'm going in the grave and I'm coming up new. That's not an easy process, <laughs> right? We suffer with Jesus. He did it first, and as we follow him as our Lord, then we become like him. Galatians 2.20 says, We have been crucified with Christ, and now it is not I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Right? This is why Jesus can call us brothers, because he has been there in the muck and mire of this life, and he knows what it's like to be a human trying to follow and live for God. I have brother-in-laws that are Marines. They're twins, actually, and they've been in for over 20 years now. They're kind of crazy. And here's the cool thing about them, right? So, like, I went to college. I could have gone in the Marines and become an officer. And how would all the enlisted guys felt about me? They would have not liked me. But these guys enlisted came up through the ranks, became warrant officers, and the enlisted guys love them. Why is that? Because he became like them, right? He's been through all the same things that they've been through, and though they've been held up and exalted to a higher position, he knows what it's like to walk in their shoes. This is what it's telling us about Jesus. He's our brother because he became like one of us because he had to to save us, but he's also been through all the junk and mire of life, and so now he says, you're my brother because I've been there with you. I know what it's like. Then he goes on here in Hebrews 2, 14 through 17 to tell us why Jesus, why Jesus had to identify with us. Look at this. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, so he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now, that's a mouthful right there. <laughs> that just told us a whole lot about Jesus, but this is, it's really, really good. So first it's saying, look, the Bible teaches us that to redeem humanity, Jesus had to become part of humanity. That's what he did. God became man, fully God, fully man in every respect. And again, humanity owed this sin debt against God, and humanity's under God's punishment of death for sin, and the devil is the, the peddler of lies and evil opposed to God. He's the father of lies. He's in cahoots with death, and therefore he's kind of in charge of it because he sucks you into it. He's saying when Jesus died, he defeated the devil. It has no more power over us. And it says, you know, we try to avoid death. We all hate death. In fact, most of our life is spent trying to avoid death. And you can think of all the ways. We try to eat healthy, except when we're at a men's retreat. I ate a 16-ounce steak last night. And, you know, might not feel so great today. 
We hear about a place where a tragedy happens in our city, and what do we do? We avoid it for a while because we don't want that to be us. We hardly even have funerals anymore because we don't want to stare in the face of death and think that that could be us next. We work at health crazes. We want insurance to keep everything going and protect us from harm and injury and death. Look, we, we're, we're afraid of death, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we run from it. We know that death is coming. You can't avoid it. It's our great enemy. And so we push it to the back of our minds and try to avoid it at all costs. And so Jesus here is saying entered into humanity to take away that enemy. Praise God, right? He became like us so that he could redeem us and set us free from the curse of death. That doesn't mean that we don't die bodily, right? It doesn't, but it does mean that we don't die spiritually and spend an eternity apart from God and God promises us just like I raised Jesus from the dead death has no power anymore you're going to go through it but you're going to live again and you're going to live with me forever and that is great freedom listen it's a scary man that is not afraid to die right and we see this all the time of evil things that happen but how much more so somebody that is free in Christ to live their life fully to God, do the things God had called them, and doesn't fear the end. In fact, he's looking forward to it because he knows what God has for him. That's true freedom right there. Right? And so Jesus has come to do that. But it also says that Jesus being fully God and fully man has experienced everything in life that you have as well. He's saying he's partaken of the same things. Listen, he had to grow up and obey his parents, right? He was made um, fun of, Isaiah 53 says. It says people reviled him and talked about how ugly he was. <laughs> he experienced illness. He went through puberty. Think about that one as you're laying in bed at night. <laughs> he knows what it's like to be poor, some people even think that you don't hear about Joseph in the crucifixion narratives because he died at some point in Jesus' life. He knows tragedy. His father passed away, maybe. And he says he experienced all the temptations we've experienced, yet without sin. And so we might say, well, what was, what was different about Jesus as a man? And here's what it was, is he was holy. Here's why he was holy says he was born without sin, right? And then lived a life without sin so that he could be the perfect sacrifice in our place. See, we are born with a sin nature. We're born condemned before God before we ever start. We inherited it from Adam and we will act on it. Anybody had kids in here? How soon did they act on it? My, my friend used to say, I keep watching. When's my son's first sin going to be, Right? Because we know it's going to happen. It happens. And yet we're told in Luke 135, as Mary's pondering with the angel how she's going to have a baby when she's still sexually a virgin. That's a good question too. And, and the angel says, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child who will be born will be called Holy, Son of God. What did God do there? He broke the chain of our sin nature by being the father of Jesus so that he was holy and he becomes a new Adam 
like Adam was, holy before God, able to make real decisions for right or wrong, right? Unlike us, we only make wrong decisions. We're under the power of our sin nature. Jesus was born apart from that, like Adam, and he could choose, was he going to follow God or not, right? God broke the cycle in Jesus. In fact, Romans 5, 12 through 19 talks about Jesus this way. In Corinthians it says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and death spread to all men because all have sinned, and so death has reigned from the beginning of the garden to the end to where we are right now. Okay, Everybody is under the curse of death. <coughs> Verse 15, though, of Romans 5, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many? <laughs> In other words, you think that thing spread, that cancer spread to all of humanity? You wait and see what Jesus is going to do to humanity through what he's done. Because life is now going to spread to everyone who puts their trust in him. He is the father of life. He is the new Adam. Instead of the cancer, we begin to have the cure that's constantly remaking us into the image of Christ. Where the one leads to death, this one leads to life. And one day we will crawl out of that hospital bed to celebrate it with Jesus. Right? Now, the end of Hebrews 2 points to one further benefit for us in Jesus becoming a human who's like us in every way. And, and look at what it says here in verse 2, 18. This will roll in for today. It says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, I don't want you to miss the weight of this verse and what it's saying here. Again, Jesus was fully human. He was faced with all the same temptations, all the suffering we talked about, but all the same temptations we had, and yet he did not sin. This is why he can be the perfect sacrifice, okay? And it says he suffered in this temptation. You ever done that? <laughs> ever feel like you're suffering when, when sin's knocking at your door? Man, it can be brutal. Right? When you're getting, your heart's being called away, and you're like, I don't want to do that thing, and yet I want to do that thing, that is a deep suffering. Saying Jesus experienced that in every way. You can think about Jesus. He was called a glutton and a drunkard. Who does that mean he's hanging out with? Right? Maybe even what's he eating? Think he was tempted to overeat a little bit? Think he's tempted to have a little bit of the six jars of wine? that he made had many women we know that followed him and supported his ministry think he was ever tempted sexually with those women you better believe it he was a man just like me and you ever tempted to be prideful <laughs> knows in his heart he's the king of the universe right I can show these guys what's up ever Tempted to rebel against God's plan? What does Satan say to Jesus in the desert? I can give you this whole world if you'll just follow me. Same temptation that Adam had. Tempted by the riches of the world? 
Tempted through the pain of illness and even the, the suffering of the cross to throw on the towel and say, God, I'm not doing it. Right? Listen, whatever you have faced, Hebrews is telling us, Jesus faced it too. We've got to get this about Jesus. And it was a great suffering to him. And it says, because of that, guess what? He can help you because he knows what it's like. You are not alone in your suffering and your striving against temptation. Listen, you are not alone. Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like. He's our brother. He became just like us. He faced it just like you. You are not alone in what you're facing. And here's the crazy thing, okay? How did Jesus not sin? Ever ask yourself that? Might be easy to say, well, he was God, obviously. No, no, no. The Bible says he did not do that in his, his divinity. He, he re- avoided temptation in his full humanity, okay? How did he do it? He did it through faith in what God had said, and he did it in the power of the Spirit. There's no other answer. And so Jesus becomes for us an example of what it looks like to believe God in the midst of suffering and and trial and tragedy, believing what God has said even in the midst of the hardest things, right, and appealing to God to work in him to resist temptation and to walk out the plan that God had for him by the power of the Spirit. And what are the tools that he gives us? Paul tells us in Ephesians that God gives you the gift of faith so that you can believe him. And when you make him Lord, what does he do? He indwells you with the Holy Spirit. You have the same things that Jesus had. And he's there to help us understand those things, to sympathize with us, and to help us defeat sin and walk out what God has planned for us. Banji, you can come on up. See, Jesus became like us so that he could defeat the power of death, so that he could save us from our sins and then to give us a new heart that beats for his things that is able to overcome those things that come into your life. And he says, I'm going to be right there with you to walk alongside you when you're tempted because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to lose a father. I know what it's like to be reviled. I know what it's like to be deathly ill. I know what it's like to be beaten and hurt. I know what it's like to be tempted sexually. I know exactly what it's like. Would you come to me and help me teach you how to follow the Lord? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word to us, God. Lord, would you help us believe the words of Hebrews that Jesus is greater? That he is your greatest word to us that says, I love you. I want to show you mercy. This is my grace. If you follow me, your sins will be forgiven. And I will walk with you through the hardest things. And that one day the sun is going to rise as you crawl out of the grave. Father, help us to believe your words, God. And then fill us with your spirit, Lord, so that we can walk out what you've given us to do. Father, we have nowhere else to go. No one else that has made it. We know that your son was made like us and followed you. Lord, teach us to follow you through Jesus. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. May we give ourselves to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.